0: Welcome to Massive Late Fee, and now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me, as always, is my girlfriend, Carol. How you doing, Carol?
1: What's up?
0: It is April 16th, 1994, and we've got some news today. So, obviously, Kurt Cobain's death is still a big story. We, well, we didn't break that, but maybe you were the first, maybe we were the first place for you to hear it, but we talked about it last week. There was an interesting article in the LA Times uh, that said, Kurt Cobain, music legend or coward? What? Yeah, well, they, they talked about the struggles with addiction that he had. Uh, that he sort of took the "quote unquote" easy way out by killing himself. What
1: an asshole! Why? Who would write that?
0: Well, it's it. It, it had some interesting ideas about psych, the psychological side of things, and you know whether suicide is. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that suicide is not a a brave choice.
1: Well, I don't know that it's brave or not, but you shouldn't sit there and and speak badly of someone. Who just died, and obviously he was miserable. I mean, God knows what all he was dealing with in his life, and it's just.
0: Yeah, as we alluded to when we talked about Jack Kevorkian, some of you may <clears throat> already realize that I that I my takes on this, but I I'm not an advocate for suicide. I don't think that people should just kill themselves willy nilly. Well, of course, but I don't. I'm not as i'm not as judgy as some other people about suicide everyone has their own their own life their own pain their own experiences and i think that you should be in charge of that whether you want to keep going through that
1: yeah i mean you you don't know until and not to be cliche but you don't know until you've walked in someone else's shoes
0: yep so that uh that article is certainly provocative to say the least.
1: I'm so disgusted. Like, I want to drive to L.A. and beat up whoever wrote that article. Well. We're coming for you. <laughs> What's his name?
0: Watch out, L.A. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Okay. If it's not Rich Dubrow, which it wasn't, I don't really remember their names that much. <laughs> so, the the music scene is changing a little bit. I guess we can talk about that there I don't know if this obviously Kirk Cobain just died right last week, and i it's we it sounds weird to say, but I don't know if this would be going on well, I suppose it would be going on I don't know if it would be successful, I think it has more of a chance to be successful without mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain a lot of people feel that grunge is dead that grunge died
1: it, with him a week ago what? yeah yes. That's ridiculous. Well, that's that's
0: what people think. That uh, you know they were the the Nirvana were the standard bearers for grunge music, and a lot of people think that it's. I mean, it's being talked about that grunge is is dead. I I, I agree. I think it's a little overblown.
1: Elvis, you know, was the king of rock, right? And, sure. I mean, it didn't just die when he retired from the rock scene
0: Ah, that's that's see it's difficult though that's because rock changed so much like elvis became popular in the mid-50s and then he died in 1977 in the summer of 1977 same year as the uh, son of sam and the new york yankees won their first world series under uh manager billy Martin Mm -hmm. with reggie jackson
1: (laughs) Same year that they were uh, filming um, Star Wars.
0: Correct. Well, Star Wars, yeah, Star Wars came out that year.
1: Oh, it released so pro- that same year? Though? Yeah,
0: it released in 77. Okay. So They were probably in May, so they were probably filming in 76 and some in 77. Okay. But anyway, so Rock had changed a lot by the late 70s. So that's a hard comparison to make. I don't know if there's ever been a situation... Where one band is so clearly the face of a whole genre of music. But there are other bands out there.
1: Yeah. There
0: are other grunge bands out there. I don't know that anyone's going to be able to step up and be that face, though.
1: Why do we need a face?
0: I don't know. But anyway. It's music. The news is that, first of all, Pink Floyd is making a comeback. Uh, I like Pink Floyd. Yeah, I mean it's okay, I guess they—they're not what they were, and I worry that at their age, I mean we're not going to see the Rolling Stones in 20 years still touring. That's ridiculous. But uh, seventy, seventy-year-old rockers. <laughs> but I mean, obviously Pink Floyd's not that old yet, but. I, I just don't know. I, I worry about their age, the tumult that the band has been through over the years. I don't know that they're gonna be able to to have a, a successful tour that lives up to their their what they were.
1: You can look at it all negative like that, or you can look at it as like a last chance to really, you know, enjoy in person the music of Pink Floyd.
0: Go see the wall. Yes. I don't know. I'm not a huge Pink Floyd fan though. So that's probably part of it too. There are a few songs of theirs that I like, but I I never really got into that like acidy uh rock of the 60s.
1: Well, yeah. Psychedelic. I mean, we weren't alive then, but
0: I mean even like not even as a teenager. I I know the people that are our age that are into the psychedelic type rock and and I I never went through Never, I never went through a phase like that or gotten into a real... Well, I'm
1: not into it, into it, but I, I can enjoy. I mean, I don't have to immerse myself entirely in something to enjoy and respect it.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Also, Tony Bennett was on MTV Unplugged. What? Yeah. What is
1: happening in the world?
0: That's what I'm saying. Kurt Cobain died and the music industry is going insane. <laughs> but obviously this was planned before Kurt Cobain's suicide. But, uh, Tony, yeah, Tony Bennett's sixty seven years old oddly popular with younger people for some reason, I like Frank Sinatra, as you know, and Dean Martin, never really into Tony Bennett, but there are people that are it's almost becoming nouveau hip to for the that kind of throwback crooner type thing
1: hmm.
0: in certain in certain small instances.
1: Well, now there's one I don't get, I guess, because I'm not into that at all.
0: But all reports was he was very good on MTV Unplugged. Uh, I don't know what he unplugged his microphone.
1: Right? I mean, look, <laughs> Kurt Cobain was unplugged on MTV. You can't then put Tony Bennett there.
0: Uh, the last story that I have, this is all music and all music news... Because nothing else really happened, but all music news today. Brian Setzer, you may remember him from the '80s uh, as one of the Stray Cats, the lead singer of the Stray Cats. You know the Stray Cat strut. Mm, you don't know that
1: really. one. Sounds vaguely familiar. I don't bother
0: chasing mice around. Whoa, no, we're gonna get sued. <laughs> <laughs> I slink down the alley looking for a fight. Howl do the moonlight on a hot summer night. No, Singing the this. blues while the steak crats cry. No? Nope. nope. Okay. Anyway, uh, so he was in uh, that band. He wants to start a new rockabilly. Uh, it's like a twist on rockabilly uh, with some big band swing thing. That's what he's, what he's trying to put together. He wants to put together an act, which is, as, you know, goes along with the Tony Bennett thing, sort of a, a old big band swingy kind of thing. You know, when, when people that. used to wear the zoot suits and, yeah. and, and stuff like that, that um, that is what Brian Setzer is looking to do. So I don't know how long that takes, but how long it takes to put together an entire swing band. But check back with us in 1996, and we'll see right. if we'll see if this swing thing has taken off at all. <laughs> I I highly doubt that people might like Tony Bennett on MTV Unplugged, but I highly doubt that they're gonna go from Kurt Cobain and grunge in two years to uh, swing dancing in clubs. Right? Seems ridiculous.
1: Hey, if it takes off, will you swing dance with me?
0: Yeah, I actually know how to swing dance. So. You do? Yeah.
1: Wow. How did you learn that?
0: I I took lessons in swing dancing. Huh. Last year.
1: Well, you'll have to teach me.
0: Uh. Anyway, so this. Uh, yeah, it's it can be fun. I don't know. Maybe it will take off. But uh, <laughs> our TV picks of the week. I was going to watch Herman's Head, that show on Fox, and then I just kind of decided not to. Like the rest of America, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. Uh, and so now we are doing 90210. We're gonna we're gonna go back into Carol's running editions of <laughs> keeping up with 90210. So what do you got, Carol?
1: So on this episode, it was actually a little deeper than uh, some of the episodes that we we've seen so far here. Um, but starting out, it starts out with David learning to play the piano. Like, he's, he's all into rock and, you know. Which one's David? He is dating Donna.
0: Which one's Donna?
1: Tori Spelling.
0: <laughs> okay, Tori Spelling, uh, daughter of famed producer Aaron Spelling from Charlie's Angels. Right. So, you know, no nepotism there. Um, <laughs> she's a great actress. Uh,
1: <laughs> she's fine.
0: She's not a very good actress.
1: She's fine. She
0: was on Saved by the Bell, you know. Yes. She was Screech's girlfriend. Yeah, Violet's Yes.
1: what <laughs> do you remember that?
0: But anyway, so yeah, okay. So so her boyfriend is the what Brian Austin Green is yes. that his name? Okay. All right, continue. Okay. He's so, taking piano lessons.
1: Yeah, like I guess he's majoring in you know music, and uh,
0: helpful to play the piano.
1: His teacher told him to take lessons, so um, he, he goes in to see this this piano teacher, and it turns out she's blind. Which he seems kind of weirded out by, but whatever. There's some chemistry that starts to happen there. and um, Yeah, because she
0: can't see his face.
1: <laughs> he's <laughs> a nice looking guy. He's
0: okay. He's no Ian Ziering.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> <coughs> For sure. <clears throat> so, anyways, um, she actually comes to the house another time, and they're playing the piano together, and... Oh, it's kind of a funny scene because in walks uh Kelly and Donna.
0: hmm
1: And Kelly comes over and introduces herself.
0: That's Jenny Garth? Yes. And Tori Spelling? Yes. Okay.
1: Tori Spelling hangs back.
0: So everyone gets uh peroxide poisoning <laughs> on the
1: two hey. the room right? Stop being mean. Alright, go ahead. Okay. So, anyway, she hangs back, and the lady actually has to ask, hey, didn't I hear somebody else come in? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's my other roommate. Not my girlfriend, my other roommate. Wow. Yeah.
0: Not introducing her as the girlfriend. That is bold.
1: That's Yeah, so she was pretty offended. So, in the backdrop of the episode, there's this whole, like, calendar thing going on where the girls are trying to raise money by getting the guys to... Pose in their underwear for a calendar. And what are they
0: trying to raise? Five dollars. <laughs> Come on. The only the only two that need to agree to this are Luke Perry and Jason Priestley.
1: Well, you know, uh, Dylan Luke Perry's character does not agree.
0: Yeah, I, I could I can't imagine that Luke Perry is too cool to agree to something like this. But
1: it's not just them. It's like a, a bunch of guys in the college. It's not just these particular guys
0: well but that's who they're gonna feature because that's well, the tv show yeah of
1: course um but yeah i mean they're they're really hesitant like uh originally brandon doesn't agree to do it either
0: brandon is jason Priestley. yeah oh man you, you <laughs> no, lost your he... money makers there or everyone maybe... get the Ions <laughs> calendar
1: no that's the thing though i, I he, he wants to be in it
0: of course he does and
1: they don't want him he's like the b-list they actually said that to him
0: that is hilarious
1: um so I mean Brandon does agree. And um they all they're all going to go film the thing. But in the meantime, before that, gotta back it back up. <laughs> 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 Brandon and um Steve, Ian Ziering's character, are trying to I don't remember where they were going, but the car breaks down and they go into this coffee house to use the payphone and it turns out to be a gay coffee house. And Brandon's fine. He's just like, hey, you know, let's get a coffee. We're waiting for the tow truck, whatever.
0: Is that a thing? A Uh, gay coffee house?
1: Apparently.
0: I've never, I've heard of gay clubs, gay bars. Right. But a gay coffee house, I've never, never heard of that.
1: Gay people who don't want to get drunk have to have somewhere to go?
0: Yeah, I'm not, but yes, gay people should be able to go anywhere they want to go.
1: Well, I'm just (laughs) saying, I mean, like, why does it always have to involve alcohol? I like the idea of having, you know, a place to go meet people. I
0: think it's more for socialization.
1: Yeah.
0: To meet other gay men. Right. Because, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not gay because we're together.
1: Obviously, yes.
0: But I would assume, I would imagine that it would be difficult to be gay for obviously for many reasons. But one of the principal reasons, like let's say we we lived in a magical world with no prejudice at all. Mm -hmm. It would still be kind of hard to be gay. Because how do you know who else is gay? You know, like if you're a guy, yeah. if you're a guy, and you see a guy that's attractive, if like if I now we're together, so I wouldn't do this, but if I'm walking down the street and I see an attractive woman, mm-hmm. I know I can hit on her. It could be that she's a lesbian, but she'll tell me right away. Statistically, you know, I'll be okay hitting hitting on her. Um, well,
1: you won't because I'll hurt you. But...
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, but. But as a but if I were a gay man and I saw an attractive man walking down the street, is he gay? How do I know? You, there's you you well, have to. You know, it's like a this, guessing game.
1: There's this gaydar thing people talk about. I mean, yeah,
0: I guess. But I mean, what what well, what sets that in motion?
1: You know what you're talking about here, though. Kind of it, you know feeds into what's happening next. So okay, okay. So they're, Sorry. In, they're it's okay. spoilers, everyone. They're in the coffee house and Steve sees the president of his fraternity hmm and um the guy like he what, he wasn't even gonna acknowledge him but then he saw him and he waved and they're like talking at the table about oh hey there's steve i had no idea so they assume he is gay and he comes over and he's like hey you know the car broke down like he's and he's all, with another guy too. yeah and he's with another guy he's like i'm not i'm not gay and like oh, so a lot
0: of gay panic going on oh
1: yeah totally homophobic <laughs> And, um, so, I mean, it takes him a few minutes to convince them that he's not just being closeted, that he really isn't gay. It's kind of funny. But, so, I mean, right there, it's like, how do you know? Yeah. I mean, even in the, in, even in the coffee house, it was wrong. But, um, so, obviously, this guy is really popular and successful. He's the president of a fraternity. Correct. And he does not want people to know that he's gay.
0: And that's his choice. I don't think anyone should have to, to be in the closet, but... It's your choice to do that.
1: Right. Now, you would think that, but Steve has a whole other idea. He's such a, I mean, I, I'm so disappointed in him in this episode. He's actually, like, debating, talking to Brandon about whether or not he should keep it a secret or whether he should tell the fraternity brothers because don't they have a right to know? That he's gay? Yeah. They live with him. That's, that's what he's saying. You know, he, they live with him and, you know, they should know. Like, what, is he going to crawl in your bed at night?
0: Yeah, that's that's what Ian Ziering needs to worry about, <laughs> is that gay men are going to, to climb all over him. He's lucky that they wrote that he has a girlfriend in the show.
1: Right? So he, um, now they're, they're, okay, now we're going to go over to Donna. Donna is, like all the other girls, running around begging people to be in this calendar, and literally begging, guys. Nobody wants to do it. I, I think I would be flattered. Wouldn't you? I mean, if somebody wanted you to be in an underwear uh, calendar? Sure. I don't
0: know. I don't know that I would do it, but I would be flattered to be asked. If Tori Spelling was on her knees in front of me.
1: I don't begging, like this image. Be, begging me
0: to be in a calendar. <laughs> then, uh, no, Tori Spelling is. I, she's not, I don't find her attractive. Well, I
1: mean, know, on her knees. I mean, she does have a pretty big mouth.
0: she has a big nose too I don't know that she could get well actually that would imply that I was small I'm not going to go there anyway so uh, let's keep it clean Uh, would I be would I be flattered yeah I'd be flattered to ask would I do it I don't know what do you think should I do it if they asked me
1: If, if we're together no
0: okay well then I guess I can't do it
1: okay so she asks this huge, tall basketball player guy, and um, you know, I played guess
0: played by. You don't know, do ya? Omar Sharif. What? <laughs> it's not Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif's a legendary actor from like the fifties. Epps. Is that who it is? Omar Epps. I didn't think. I no 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 no. No, he was in he was in Major League Two that we talked about last oh. week. It's the guy. Who was... He's been in...
1: By the way, you're you're letting everyone know now that you actually watched the show with me? <laughs> he watched it with me, guys. Okay.
0: I watched part of it. I did not see the whole episode.
1: You loved it.
0: But he has been in some movies and TV shows. And I can't think of where I've seen him. Was he on... I want to say he was on Amen. Or... One of those shows. I don't
1: know. I didn't recognize him from anywhere. So. But
0: I can't. I, I know him. Oh, wait. Wait, wait, wait. No. Yes. That's who he was. No, yes. He was from the Ghostbusters. What? Yeah. That is, wasn't that the guy from the Ghostbusters? The guy that played...
1: Oh, my God. Ernie You're Hudson. Right.
0: Ernie Hudson from the Ghostbusters. That's who it was. That's
1: so weird. Because in the Ghostbusters, he played a middle-aged man.
0: Yeah. And he's playing a college guy. Right. Because black don't crack everyone. That's true. But... but yeah, he he kind of pulls it off, I guess. As a he he looks old to be a college student. Yeah. I will say that. But yeah, it's Ernie Hudson. I knew I knew him.
1: <laughs> okay. So and then she makes, of course, the 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 innuendo that you know, big tall black guy is going to have a big
0: hmm. right. She does. Yes. Yeah, so I didn't see that's, this part. That's
1: how she starts off by saying, "Well, you know, you'll you'll be the best." Uh, Endowed guy there, or something like the best looking. I don't remember. Because but, you're black, right? Cause, well, she didn't say it that way, but yeah, I mean that was the implication. It's like you know that you've got nothing to worry about. You're going to be with all these other guys, and,
0: all these white guys with tiny right. dicks.
1: <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, you're right," but I still don't know. So, so he
0: agrees? No, he perpetuates the stereotype.
1: He didn't agree. Oh, oh, you mean agree with them? But yeah, yeah. I mean he did agree with that. But he says the only way he'll do it is she goes on a date with him.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Now this is immediately following her being dissed by her boyfriend in their own home. Okay. So, you know, she says, Well, you know I have a boyfriend, you know, you know, and he she's like, You've gotta be kidding. And he's like, Oh yeah, I was just, just joking and um but she ends up actually agreeing. Okay. As friends.
0: To go on a date as friends. Right. That always works out.
1: So then um now all these guys are getting together to do the calendar. And Steve, the asshole, complete asshole that he is, they start teasing him and saying he's gay. Just randomly cuz why do guys do that by the way?
0: Um huh.
1: Yeah, speak speak to that.
0: Why do guys tease each other about being gay? I don't know.
1: I mean, they're all in their underwear. Getting ready to have their pictures taken. And they're like, oh, nice set of underpants you picked out there. And it's like all of you are in the same freaking boat.
0: I think it's fear, probably. No one wants, no one wants to, no one wants anyone to think that they're gay.
1: Why? Why does it matter so much? I mean, it matters so much more to guys than girls. Like, I don't care if somebody thinks I'm a lesbian.
0: Because, I think because just guys, they I believe it's, it's very stereotypical. I am not like this, just to let everyone know. But because I don't care, I. And as far as I'm concerned, whoever you sleep with, I don't. I don't care. It's none of my business. I don't care if you sleep with a girl, guy. Doesn't Donkey. matter. Donkey doesn't. Well, doesn't <laughs> matter to me. I see. We need to be careful when we start equating homosexuality to bestiality. Well, no.
1: I'm, I mean, just when you say you don't care. I don't know that what
0: you do behind closed doors is none of my business, and I don't care that's that's my point of view. Right. I look at people as as far as that goes I look at people as just are you a nice person that's all i i that's all I care about is how is how you present yourself and how you you know how you treat other people
1: right I mean what you do behind closed doors unless it's with me doesn't affect me, so why should I care
0: correct but anyway, so I think that there, there are stereotypes of gay men being less than men, being sissies, being, you know, things like that. Okay. And I think that guys with the testosterone, especially around that age in college, they they have this idea of I don't want to be labeled as less than a man. You know, okay. I'm a man kind of thing. And I think that's what it is. And so I think the reason that they tease each other about that is one, it's an easy thing to tease somebody about. And two, it's it's a fear thing. Where right. it's like, I don't want to be labeled this. It's projection.
1: Right. Kind of,
0: you know. And I think you will find that sometimes the ones that do it the hardest actually are okay. <laughs> right. You can kinda of tell when it goes from light hearted jibes to Full on psychological problems, uh, and those are the ones that I always have a like. Eh, do you have some thoughts that you are afraid of right. that you are projecting on on everyone else at this point? Uh, so, yeah, I think I think that's a big part of the reason why. And I think men have a tendency to not see. We're conditioned to suppress anything that is sort of sweet. And cuddly and those like those kind Aww, of a, but I
1: like your cuddly. Those
0: those kind of emotions, you know, were were like uh, like if you see a, a puppy, you know, you can't be like, oh, it's a cute puppy, you know, it, it's stuff like that. Because you know, one of your friends is going to be like, oh, fag, you know, something, you know, that's that's how it will go. So if anyone shows any kind, like if a guy shows emotion at all to another guy, a lot of times that's how it's met. It's met with. Uh, get out of here queer you know stuff like that wow yeah that's it's just it's a weird psychological thing but guys suppress a lot of guys do I mean it's changing it's the 90s it's it's changing now but you know that's for the longest time that's what we've been conditioned to do is repress all those emotions
1: sounds like it's hard to be a guy it can be um I mean I, I
0: think mean, it's hard to be a girl too I think yeah it's,
1: different ways I
0: think it's hard you know it's just hard to be a person
1: <laughs> right um. So, okay, so they're all making fun of him, and he says, oh, you guys should be looking closer to home or something like that. You're looking at the wrong guy, and, and ends up telling them. He ends up outing their president. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when the episode takes a really dark turn. First of all, they all walk out of this shoot, this camera shoot. So they're not even doing the calendar now. Why? Because one of them's gay. Okay. So dumb.
0: Well, they don't want they don't want him to see him in just their underwear.
1: I guess, and because uh, you know
0: every gay man that sees a guy in its under his underwear just starts salivating. Right. That's uh, they're animals. Uh, you know, that's 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 the thought process.
1: So yeah, and then and then Steve tells him like they run into each other because you know he's coming to come do the shoot and he tells him what he did. And, of course, he's pissed. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah. He's because like, you know, he you ruined my life. Because he
0: violated his trust and uh, and uh, let out a secret about him that he didn't want revealed to everybody. And, you know, yeah, that's terrible.
1: And apparently, and again, you know, I haven't been watching for a while, so I missed out on this. But there was something where, like, Steve was in trouble and they were talking about kicking him out. And this guy had stood up for him. Okay. So now he's caused him all this problem. Real
0: nice, Ian Searing. Right. You, you have a horrible name, an ugly face, and apparently an ugly You're personality. you so mean,
1: God! If
0: this tape ever gets to Ian's earring, I think that he'll just send us an envelope of tears.
1: <laughs> You're terrible. Um, yeah, they, and then like Steve gets home and sees what they've done to this poor guy.
0: Mm-hmm. What did they do to him?
1: They painted his room pink.
0: Oh, there you go see that's another one of the that's what I'm talking about with the the stereotyping and and by the way uh as I said, all that is stereotypes. I've met gay people in my time we have a, a city royal Oak that's close to us that's that's fairly uh homosexual friendly and I've met many gay gay men in my time uh, on this earth I guess. <laughs> And there are guys, you talk about this gaydar thing, there are guys that, that are, they're just guys. You know, they happen to, their sexual orientation happens to be that they like other men, but you'd never know. They, they can be as, you know, quote unquote, butch or as stereotypically masculine as anyone else. Right. And, you know, they don't, they don't, not, there, there are some gay people that, I mean, the stereotypes come from somewhere. So there are some gay people, and I assume that it's genetic, that have the, the more lilting high voice or, you know, things like that. Things that are stereotypical for gay men. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I believe it's probably genetic because I believe that homosexuality is something you're born with. Yeah. So, so I think that the reason that happens it, to a certain percentage of the gay population is a genetic thing. Some, some might be an affectation, uh, sort of like a calling card almost. Like we were talking about, it's hard to tell. Yeah. They, the, some of them might play it up to, to be like.
1: Because they want you to Yeah, know. because they
0: want you to know this is who I am kind of thing, which also is fine. But, so there are, there's a certain percentage that's like that, but there's also a large percentage that you'd never be able to tell because they're just normal dudes.
1: Right, and that was the case with this, this guy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he's packing to leave and, you know, Steve's trying to, you know, tell him to stay and he'll support him and stuff and he basically like, yeah, whatever.
0: <laughs> so he's trying he's trying to, to get back in his good graces now because right. he feels like shit right. over the stupid thing that he did at a photo shoot. Yeah.
1: So then... Um, Now we're going to go back to Donna and David's house. This is hilarious. Where this guy shows up at their door and David lets him in and he's like, oh, hey, you know, Kelly's not here or whatever. And he's like, well, I'm I'm here for Donna. What? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine some guy just showed up to take me on a date?
0: Yeah, that would be weird.
1: And then, oh, when he said he was there for Donna first, he's like, oh, yeah, about the calendar. You know, I know she wants to talk to you about the calendar. And he's brings flowers out from around his back and gives them to her when she walks out and he's like what is happening right oh so you know and the thing is you can tell he really likes her and um she's just thinking this was all nothing and i I was i was kind of irritated at this point they go outside and she's like oh you know thanks so much that was great i appreciate it like she's just trying to like blow him off now
0: to not actually go on the date
1: like it was all just a joke and she's like i'm sure you have you know big plans on a friday night and he's like yeah i do (laughs) with you know like with her right so he ends up taking her bowling, and um, I mean, he does actually in the end talk her into forgiving David.
0: That's such a—it's so weird that that's become a thing. What bowling? But that's a very—that's a very popular thing to do right now for dates—is to go bowling. Yeah, I know you love bowling. We sometimes we need the bumpers.
1: When hey, ghost bowling. <laughs> I'm no good at it, but I like it. You know when we go. Um, sometimes, like, I just, I try to get 42, because that's the only way I can win.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, because that's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Uh, that's, 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 that's a deep cut for any of you that are fans of a book series out there. But, anyway, um, the thing is, is that, I I think, it's weird. Why do you think bowling is so popular as a recreation
1: well, no. as a recreation in general or for a date? Both. Because in general, the reason I like to go is because we go with a big group of people and I like to socialize while we're doing it. It's just something to do while you're hanging out. For me, sometimes getting up to throw the ball is actually annoying because I'm having a good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think that's that's part of it. It's something that you can do that doesn't require a ton of time and focus with people so you can still socialize.
0: Plus, you can smoke and drink in there.
1: Exactly. Um, no. um, Mom, uh, if you hear this, I mean, we don't do that, but.
0: We haven't um, found a bowling alley that doesn't card.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> we don't smoke at all, of course. Um, but then for dating, I mean, you know, you get a good look at each other's backside and, you know, there's the whole, let me help you with that. I mean, it's the same thing with playing pool.
0: Yeah, or or miniature golf.
1: Right. Any, any kind of sports dates, you know, lend themselves to, to looking and touching.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's true. Okay, so uh he feels her up at bullying. <laughs> oh, that doesn't happen?
1: Well, we don't actually see them bullying, I'm assuming that cuz he does talk her into forgiving David.
0: Yeah, the it, it's funny the the story that he tells. This is actually this is part of the show that I saw. And this is it's very it's a very well-written like little monologue that he gives. But he he talks about a story about how he you know he would date these girls he plays basketball for the school um i don't know. i don't know how many years of eligibility he's burned through at this point he must have had about 15 red shirts but uh yeah sports people will get that joke but anyway so he plays basketball for the school and he loves basketball so much and he talks about the girlfriends that he would have and he said they'd go out on a date, they'd start talking about themselves, he'd start talking about basketball, they'd get bored, and then they'd start to think that basketball was more important to him than they were. And he w- he was saying that he, what they didn't understand is that basketball was a big part of his life, he loved it, and he wanted to share it with, with them, and they just felt intimidated that that because... He loved basketball so much he couldn't also love them, and that's kind of the the gist of his story. I can't remember exactly the the wording that he that he gave, but Tori Spelling, only because it's written in the script, not because she could actually figure this out, mm-hmm. figures out that he's talking about her and her boyfriend.
1: Yeah, because David's you know big love is is music and. This piano teacher is just an extension of that, which actually comes up between her and David because, you know, they're working together and he kind of makes a little bit of a play and she's like, no, you're in love with my music, not me, which, you know, I can see how that could happen. So in the end, I suppose. so in the end, you know, they, they come back together and, you know, he, he struck out and she... Didn't do anything with this other guy, so
0: yeah, it's the most heartwarming love story in uh 90210 history. A uh, boyfriend gets rejected to, for cheating by another girl, uh, other girl is clueless that this guy wants to be with her, and they end up together,
1: right? It's kind of sad. Um, so and then to wrap up the other side story, I mean, the other main story, um, so Steve. Goes to the um, what do they call it? It was like a hearing or something like.
0: Yeah, it's a meeting of this fraternity.
1: Yeah, and he... all the
0: quote unquote. I I I am not going to join a fraternity. I think fraternities are kind of dumb. Yeah. To to, to put I it agreed. to put it bluntly, but anyway, the, all the quote unquote brothers right. get together to meet
1: to discuss this this guy's sexuality.
0: Yeah, and and whether or not they should kick him out because he's gay.
1: And, and they actually bring up the point of they can't kick somebody out for race. And, and they're like, well, we're not talking about race. We're talking about sexuality. Like, why should that be different?
0: The one guy, the, the, the leader of the mob, is right? what I'm going to call it, talks about how, what are we, you know, we're going to be labeled a gay fraternity. What kind of parties are we going to be able to have? What kind of sororities are we going to get to be able to come over here if we're the gay fraternity? What about our alumni? <clears throat> what are they going to think if uh, we turn into the gay fraternity? They're not going to want to financially support us anymore and we need the, the alumni support and, and, and all this this kind of stuff. Because they've got one gay guy in their fraternity, they're now going to be the gay fraternity. By the way, uh, I don't know if there are gay fraternities out there or not. I will say this, though. I'll, I'll bet you in reality, he's not the only gay guy in any fraternity right? on that campus.
1: I bet he's not even the only good guy in that fraternity.
0: Yeah, depending on how many people are in it.
1: Well, it looked like a good amount of people in that room. Yeah. So, in the end, you know, Steve makes, you know, a big speech and, you know, says, you know, who's with me? I sec-, You know, I, I motion for him to stay and somebody seconds it and then they all end up clapping and standing up and, and the one asshole who is leading it is kind of left looking like a dick.
0: And he leaves. Yeah. He leaves the fraternity rather than be in the same room with a gay guy.
1: So he's probably gay. That he's something.
0: Guess. I'll tell you that much. He's either he's either gay and afraid of it or the most horrible asshole that's ever lived.
1: Yeah.
0: One of the two. I will say uh, Ian Ziering, like you said, gives an impassioned speech about race and other other members that broke barriers and things like that. Uh, I wish it had been written a little bit better. I, I feel like you know, in Star Trek they, they used to, the next generation with John Luke Picard, they used to, he would give this, a lot of the, the episodes would end with or climax with his speech. and he gives give some impassioned speech about fairness and equality and stuff like that. I'm thinking of a, a specific episode with the the android data called measure of a man where he he argues about he talks about slavery mm-hmm. and stuff like that and it's it's incredibly well written a very very good speech this speech was fine but i feel like they could have it could have made more of an emotional impact
1: yeah i mean it, it definitely could have been better but again they're college students so they're not going to be the most eloquent that's true um, but girls, the best part of the episode is at the very end when they do the—they uh, finally do the calendar—and you get to see all the guys in their swimsuits and underwear and
0: boxer shorts and yeah. stuff. You but can't see it. You know
1: what's hilarious? You can't is see any. The dick one prints. that I want to see the most is wearing a fricking wetsuit with what, a with what, a with a surfboard.
0: Was it Priestley? No who Luke was Perry. It? Oh, Luke Perry actually did, agreed to do it then.
1: Yeah, in the end he did. Because they needed him because that one guy walked off.
0: Cuz Luke Perry is who I was thinking, but uh, that you'd want to see, yeah. but I thought that he wasn't going to do it. Oh. I didn't really watch the calendar I didn't watch the calendar thing at the end cuz I'm not gay. Guys.
1: <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I mean in the end it was all happy, but it was a it was a pretty emotional hour.
0: Was uh Winston from Ghostbusters in it too? I yeah. didn't see it.
1: Yes, yes he was.
0: Could you see his dick print?
1: No, I didn't see any dicks. Jeez.
0: That's the that's the thing. It's it's television, so
1: <laughs>
0: you know, no no dick print. No dick print. Uh anyway, speaking of dick prints, we're going to get on to our main topic of the day, which is a movie that just came out in the theater. It's not doing incredibly well but it's so it's doing okay this director i love uh but his movies tend to to be a little out there and not for quote-unquote mainstream audiences so they don't they don't end up making a ton of money unfortunately but i really think that uh it's john waters and i think he's one of the most interesting and innovative filmmakers that i've ever seen i love his movies if if you haven't seen pink flamingos uh with divine that's 1970s check that out it is it is weird and silly but fantastic and the film that we saw is called serial mom
1: yeah it was it was it was a decent movie
0: Yeah, see, I don't think you have the the love of John Waters that I do, but it seemed like you still appreciated the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were a couple things that were a little over the top, but I enjoyed it otherwise.
0: It stars... Oh, why can't I think of her name? Kathleen Turner. It stars Kathleen Turner of Romancing the Stone fame.
1: I love that movie. And
0: Jessica Rabbit voice fame. Yep. And Sam Waterston uh, plays her husband. Ricky Lake who, uh, you know, I believe she's worked with John Waters before. She's fairly young. Uh, she she plays her daughter. And a man named Matthew Lillard plays her son. And then there are other pieces. Suzanne Somers makes a guest appearance <laughs> yeah, in the film. Uh, Patty Hearst is in the movie at some point. Uh, but anyway, so the story is that Kathleen Turner... Is a normal, suburban housewife. It's very this movie is a parody yeah. on true crime books, true crime TV, and true crime movies.
1: Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> definitely does not take itself seriously. No,
0: not at all. <laughs> which is great. And in some of the in the instances where it gets super bonkers is the best part of the movie. But anyway, so it's a parody of that, and like at the beginning it says this is all based it goes to a very long text of how this is based on a true story, and you know, none of the people that were involved were financially rewarded for this <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, but it goes it goes a long way into that, into making you think that this actually happened. And then On the screen, it shows times and days a lot. You know, especially every time there's... You know, now this is going to ruin the movie for you. So, tune out now and just go to the blockbuster section of our show if you haven't seen the movie. But everyone else, you can stay. Uh, Every time there's a murder, you know, the time appears. Things like that. And anyway, so... She It's very 50s-ish, almost, the the way that she presents the family mm-hmm. and the way she presents herself. Very prim and proper. Uh, that they mention, I believe, June Cleaver yep. from Leave it to Beaver at one point. So, you know, that's sort of the aesthetic that we're getting from this. And she... Uh, but in reality, she murders people and prank phone calls people using obscene language Oh my goodness, yes. uh so <sighs> this slowly sort of ramps up we see her the police show up at the beginning of the movie they're asking about obscene messages that this woman Dottie hinkle has been getting and obscene phone calls and she says oh you know it's terrible the the word pussy is used and she says i've never even said the P word out loud, let alone <laughs> writing it down. And, you know, she, she looks at the birds and she does this thing where she says, she says, look, look at the birds and how beautiful they are. We, wee. <laughs> and, uh, so she really presents it and the, she's convinced that the detectives looking into this. So they leave and then the family leaves for school and work. And she goes upstairs and makes some scene <laughs> phone call to daddy Inkle. And, it's hilarious. But so we, we get this this idea that she's not quite right. Right. The first time she kills somebody is she goes to the PTA meeting and we see her son's math teacher and her her we see the, the person he's talking to before and I think I think this is for context. I think it's context that this teacher is an asshole right. just just full out and not just like against her family, but against everyone. Because she he tells this one mom that some people just aren't cut out for college.
1: Yeah, some people aren't college material.
0: And, and, every, and everything. So when he comes in, when she comes in to talk to him, he says, oh, you know, he's doing really well. Uh, he's conscientious. He, all these good things. How oh, his grades are good and everything. But he mm-hmm. likes horror movies too much. And it's distracting him, and it's sick, and he drew this really horrible picture in school of like murder or something like that, and says that she must be doing something wrong, and that he needs some kind of psychological uh, evaluation, yep. basically. So she kills him with her car.
1: Yep. Just runs him over and backs it up.
0: And she's seen by this girl smoking pot uh, outside the school, Standing next to a tree. So anyway. So. As the movie goes on. She murders other people. We find out why she is doing this to Dottie Hinkle. Because Dottie Hinkle took a spot from her. At the. At the supermarkets. And. She ends up basically going on this murderous spree. Of people that slight her. Or her family in some way. They They all. There's a reason why you, and this is part of why I think the part of the movie's charm. You kind of root for Kathleen Turner's character, even though she's a a horrible murderer, right? Um, and you know the one of the reasons that happens is we get we get uh, reasons why she does this to everybody, and everyone else is portrayed in sort of a bad light. <laughs> Besides her and her family. You know, we, like, I, I don't think it's any surprise that when she kills the couple that are denigrating her husband as a dentist, mm-hmm. that um, we see them eating chicken and it's disgusting oh, yeah. and close and they're ripping it apart and, and all this stuff. And it, I think it's filmed that way to show, like, they're. first of all, we're kind of seeing things through her her eyes. So we're getting you know, her point of view on this, but it's, they're disgusting. They're disgusting people. Mm -hmm. So once they're devalued like that in the movie, killing them doesn't make an impact. Yeah. We don't really see their their character, and their characters aren't fully realized or fully written on purpose. And I think that that's part of the genius of this movie. It allows us to to disregard them as fodder and, and to... And to just identify with her character. I think that's one of the great things that this script does, writing-wise and directing-wise.
1: I don't know. I mean, I I guess. I mean, I didn't really connect emotionally with any character in this movie. But it was still disturbing to me.
0: I mean, one of the guys that she kills, we see him masterpiece. (laughs) <laughs> he,
1: at, see, at one point she did, well yeah the, he, she kills him way after that yeah
0: though. she kills him after that but, but that's another you know we see him as we see him debased yeah. you know and that's another and that's another part of it the, the masturbation scene and the sex scene that she has with her husband and this is after she kills the first person that she kills
1: yeah apparently it aroused her
0: and that's why I believe that we're seeing the origins of her as a killer I think she was always interested in it before um, and and she never acted on it before until now, but yeah, the it's comical the, the sex scene because she's having she's having sex with her husband and she's being like super loud, her her children can hear, ew. and then we go it's just so ew. But what makes it not ew is we go back into the room and she's on the bottom, her husband's on the top, and she's bouncing him up like they're on a trampoline it's just it's completely unrealistic it's completely unreal but it 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 makes it funny it it turns something and that's another thing that john waters does really well it turns something that could be kind of gross or make you go uh you know like because sometimes people react that way to, to sexuality um, or it could make you aroused. He takes something that could, you know, arou- do one of those two emotions in you, and he makes it funny instead. He makes it humorous instead. And that's the, the over-the-top nature of it. And when the guy's masturbating later, it's like he's under a blanket, and the blanket's just like, it's going up. And it's right. like, it's it's no way that, that that actually happens in real life at all.
1: He must have the biggest dick in the world. If, oh, if, yeah, because you
0: know. it's it's like he's... His, His hand is like, has got to be like the 10 feet in front of him and he's just, he's just like the, the blanket is going way up in the air and everything and it, it makes it humorous and that's, I think that's the, the point of it. Yeah. But anyway, so what, uh, you know, so I'll go through the rest of the pot real quick. Um. So she commits this murder. Someone sees her. The police question her obviously uh then she her her daughter I think the second one is the boyfriend right yeah. or the potential boyfriend. her daughter is stood up by this guy that she likes that clearly is not into him.
1: you mean into her
0: into her yeah, sorry, and she uh he goes to a swap meet that they happen to be at, and Ricky Lake's character sells things at the swap meet with another girl and ends up buying a Fabergé egg for her that the one of the other uh, housewives wanted. Well, sort of wanted. It was overpriced. It and was, chipped. It was chipped, yeah. But she wants it, so the boyfriend buys it for her and everything. And Ricky Lake's character is all distraught over this. She really liked this guy. So... The mom is incensed because her family's been wounded. So she takes a poker that the other housewife bought mm-hmm. and goes into the bathroom uh, where she's seen. She's witnessed in every single one of these murders. Yeah. Which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, but some, there's some pervert in the bathroom writing on the bathroom wall and there's a little peephole and thing. And he sees her and she stabs him through the back, pulls his liver out uh which is also comical the, the whole way that that it's the way that it's depicted is sort of comical but uh he pulls it out and uh or she pulls it out and like you know like gets it off of the end of yeah, the that's gross. thing is she's very like very daintily after she's committed these murders she always reverts back to Ugh, Oh, all this is gross you know kind of thing and uh so she does that and kills him for her daughter uh after that she kills who's next i'm trying to think who who the next person is i think the next person is the couple right
1: Um, i feel like there's one more but maybe you're right
0: because the uh the husband called yeah yeah, yeah.
1: do you oh. remember the, oh, you're right.
0: the husband called the her 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 husband who's a dentist into to work on his tooth which wasn't that big of a deal and they were rude to him and and all this other stuff so she ends up going and killing killing them they think that that she's going to kill steve because steve thinks that she's the killer so they go to that that's where they that's where the family sees sees him masturbating yeah
1: the the family at this point suspects or is pretty darn sure that she is killing people yeah
0: so she kills those two uh then she she's suspected by the police they all follow her to church she
1: it's a funny scene. Yeah,
0: it's it's like a hundred police cars following her in a line to church. She's the main suspect now. She's been witnessed every single time she's killed somebody, and you know she. Uh, so she, she um, ends up there's like a fight breaks out of church for some reason. Yeah, and she she ends up escaping. The son is into it. The son's like you know. They, they're calling her Serial Mom, the, the title of the movie. And the son's like, oh, you know, you know, like he, he, he likes horror movies and stuff, so he doesn't care about it. He thinks it's cool. His girlfriend thinks it's cool. They, they She takes her to the video store and hides her in the back. This woman comes in that didn't rewind a tape, and she's arguing about it. She Be
1: kind and rewinds people.
0: Yeah, she's arguing about it. She shouldn't have to rewind all this stuff. He ends up charging her. He says, I'm going to charge you this time, implying that she does this all the time. She says, here, you know, here, here's the money, you son of a psychopath. You know, she's very, like, very mean mm-hmm. to him. So the mom, you know, hears all this. So she goes and tracks her down to her house and kills her with the leg of lamb that she was, uh, that she had been eating.
1: Yeah, she had a knife. You think she's going to go with the knife?
0: She decides not to at the last minute and picks up the leg of lamb and beats her to death with that.
1: So weird.
0: So Steve, who is the friend who has suspected her, uh, witnesses this. She sees that he witnessed it. So she chases him down to this nightclub. Oh, Oh,
1: gosh, the dog.
0: They're going nuts. (laughs) But anyway, so she chases him down to this nightclub where this band is singing about death, singing about capital punishment, the electric chair. There's a few capital punishment references in this in this TV show, or in this movie, I mean. And, you know, they're, this, they're singing about that gas chamber and, you know, justifiable homicide and all this stuff. And, you know, she's tracking Steve down through this nightclub. He gets on, which is funny, because they, they give the time. It's like 3.27 p.m., on a Sunday, and this band is playing, but whatever, uh, so, she, uh, she goes up, on the stage where he is, and she takes the knife, she's gonna kill him with the knife, she ends up cutting the cord of some of the lights, the lights fall on him, smash him, he gets, he ends up getting lit on fire, and starts, you know, burning to death, he's, he's screaming and
1: like yeah it's way over the top gyrating
0: and the band takes a sip of alcohol and spits it on him and so he burns more uh the people in the audience are like they're holding lighters and and like you know chanting
1: cereal mom
0: yeah exactly
1: really disturbing scene to me
0: well i think it's supposed to show it's it's a parody of how you know all these made-for-TV movies get made about true crimes. And there there is a thought process going on now with people that are, that are concerned about this that we're glorifying serial killers or murderers or other types of criminals, making these made-for-TV movies about them, book deals, things like that. And that's a big part of what this is parodying. So, and it never... The thing is, and John Waters wouldn't really do this, and this is a this is a I'm not this is a different way that you could do it and be as effective, I think, but this is not a John Waters style. Um, you could do kind of a lot of like the movie that he did, but also turn to a serious tone. Yeah. And, you know, kinda of high like like juxtapose and highlight how how bad this is, and how damaging this is, he never does that because that's not John Water's style, right, but it's the undercurrent of the whole movie it it's it's the point of view he's trying to get across mm-hmm. is how glorifying this stuff is not good, yeah, so anyway, she gets arrested, goes on trial decides to the, the her lawyer wants to it's this is this whole thing's a farce too by the way mm-hmm. it's like a made for tv movie trial because it is in no way how trials actually work right her lawyer wants to plead guilty by reason of insanity which he should have discussed with his client before think, yeah. before this but, <laughs> but it seems to be news to her she wants to fire him and represent herself which she does Incredibly successfully. Yep, she should have been a lawyer. She she goes through the whole case and pokes holes in everyone's story. Uh, she the girl that the guy that when she killed the boyfriend with the poker, she points out to the witness how he wanted she wanted that Faberge egg that he bought. It was her poker. You know all this stuff, like you know, basically implying she's the one that killed her. Right. When they they talk to Dottie Hinkle, she gets her completely unhinged by you know it's like she's sw- like Dottie Hinkle is swearing at her and, and being compl- like she ends up getting held in contempt yeah. of court uh, because of this because she just enrages her so much. Um, she talks to oh one of the things is that the woman with the poker doesn't recycle. <laughs> Right. And that's sort of a, a plot point earlier in the film. She talks to the the garbage men and she brings them out some alcohol for them to drink. And she's talking about Dottie, not Dottie Hinkle, the other the other one. I can't yeah, remember I her name. Either. But she says, oh, you know, she they're talking about how she doesn't recycle and how it's terrible for the planet and all this stuff. So her big question at the end, after she's implied that she's the one who committed murder, she's like, do you do you recycle and she she looks like she's sweating bullets and everything she finally goes no i don't and everyone in the in the courtroom's like oh right. so, like it's the worst thing in the world which you know i mean definitely save the planet and everything but but it's hilarious um so she pokes holes in that the pervert that saw her killed the guy he gets on the stand she kind of leans down underneath her the table the too. table and she she pistons her legs back and forth op- open and closed so he can see her vagina is what is what is what's implied although we don't we don't actually see it right but you know he's a pervert, so you know he that convinces him to say that he perjured himself that said, that said that he lied. And he never saw her in the bathroom. And there's, I, I want to say there's another witness too, but I can't remember. But anyway, the and throughout all this, we're intercutting to her, her son and her daughter selling books by this photographer called Serial Mom. They're selling books. They're selling uh, t-shirts. The, they're selling movie rights. You know, there's all this merchandising going on right around the courtroom and right around all this stuff. Uh, you know, there's never been a courtroom case that's quite been this kind of media circus. I don't know if we'll ever see one. I hope not. But but anyway, so that like that's kind of how they're doing it. Suzanne Somers comes into the courtroom and distracts everybody with her presence being a big star, I guess.
1: Yeah, she was going to play her in the TV movie. That's Co- why she's there.
0: Yes, correct. So anyway, so... She ends up getting off. She ends up getting found not guilty, even though she's disturbed that juror number nine continues to wear white shoes after Labor Day. <laughs> uh, every single time, like every new day, she's got a different pair of white shoes. So, you know, it's a success. It's successful. She uh, she kind of slips off because she sees this juror after the trial. Juror's on the phone and she says, yeah, we got her off. And she said, I knew she didn't do it. And, you know, we're all, they were, we're all excited about it. So she comes up and she says, you know, you can't wear white shoes after Labor Day. <laughs> and she says, no, you know, fashion's changed and everything. And he says, no, didn't your mother ever tell you you can't wear white shoes after Labor Day? And she picks up the the payphone, uh, the the cradle, the handle thing, the part you talk into, heads, handset, I guess. And she smashes her in the face with it.
1: Yeah, she beats her to death. With and the she, she phone. basically,
0: yeah, she beats her to death with the phone. The juror that was so excited about letting her off the hook. <clears throat> and so she comes in. You know, everyone says, oh, my gosh, there's a murder, you know, and stuff. And Suzanne Somers kind of gives her a look. Because she, like, a lot of these people didn't think that she actually did it. Right. And then the movie ends. Freeze frames and the movie ends. Uh, one thing that I think is really good about this movie too, is it sort of shows the mundacity and the just mind numbingness of being a suburban housewife because that's what she does. And all these slights are sort of, they're, they're sort of indicative of this being raised in a, in a strictly traditional kind of home. Uh, the white after Labor Day. That's a big, like, you know, we live in the Hamptons kind of, you know what I mean? Like, we're a traditional conservative family. You don't wear white shoes after Labor Day kind of thing, right? So there's that. They go to church. Uh, you know, that's a traditional thing that that families do on on Sunday. Um, this, the Dottie Hinkle, um, you know, is someone that she knows from the neighborhood. She slights her by, um... By taking this parking spot, it's part of um, like social nicety. You know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. Dottie Hinkle has violated what is a normal social nicety. Uh, there's the boyfriend standing up her daughter. There's the PTA meeting, a traditional, standard, conservative thing that that thing that parents do. So I think that this is a, a rebuke of both the sensationalism of these true crime things. And of this idea of traditional conservative lifestyle. Okay. I, you know, and and that's sort of informed by some of the other stuff that John Waters has done. So, you know, I'm, I'm cheating a little there, I guess, by taking his entire oeuvre into, <laughs> into account. But if you look a lot of his movies, I think this one slots perfectly in with it. John Waters is not a traditional person, not a traditionally conservative person. I, be- I believe, if I remember correctly from some interviews I've seen of him, he was raised that way. But he's clearly rejected that. Uh-huh. And I think this is another a part of that. Another clear rejection of that kind of like social conservatism and everything. Because it drives people insane. And I think there's a degree of truth to that. So... Uh, you know, the uh, the son in, into the horror movies and stuff like that comes across as basically the most normal character in the movie, honestly.
1: I think the daughter's more normal than he is.
0: Well, the, but the daughter's all kind of, you know, she ends up making out with the photographer that wrote the book at the end of the movie and stuff, and I just... I, I, she's, yeah, I mean, I guess she's kind of normal, but she's always, she's looking for something. You know what I mean? She doesn't seem settled. Yeah. And the the, the the son has the girl that he hangs out with all the time. They're either boyfriend, girlfriend, or really good friends. It's are boyfriend or girlfriend. It's never really, like, said.
1: Well, they're making out, so. They
0: did, sure. they made out at some
1: point? I thought they did.
0: I don't remember that. Maybe they did. Either way. Um, he's the one that seems like kind of settled, and he's the one that's into something that's considered "quote unquote" deviant. Everyone thinks is deviant, right. liking horror movies. So, so I, I think deviant. So I think that that kind of also highlights the repudiation of this conservative type of lifestyle. What did you think? Did you have a favorite part of the movie? Did you have uh, something you wanted to to go into about it?
1: Mm, I don't know about like. A favorite part, necessarily. I mean, it was all odd. It was an odd experience to watch, but it was enjoyable.
0: What do you think about Kathleen Turner? I love her. I thought that she was. I don't know if they could. I don't know if John Waters could have made this movie without her. To be honest, she was perfect in this role. Like capturing the the like unhinged energy of when she's killing people. Combined with the like the the two faces, you right. know, the completely like straight laced. I'm a normal, you know. And you can always kind of see after that first scene. You can always kind of see that underneath the surface, the way that she plays it. You can always see the the madness underneath the surface. Yeah, of that for event, sure. With the knowledge of, of what she's capable of, but my God, Kathleen Turner does an absolutely fantastic job in this movie. She's she plays this movie perfectly. This character that you cannot play this character any better than she plays it. And she's the soul, the heart of the movie. The movie doesn't work without her.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and, and she carries it she carries the movie completely. She is absolutely fantastic in this film. Uh Sam Waterston does a good job as as her husband. Everyone else everyone else is good. Everyone else is very good in the movie. Ricky Lake, I think, also is sort of a standout. She does really well. She gives her character which could be kind of an underwritten character because she she has a charm to her. She gives uh, she gives a lot of she informs her character a lot with uh, some of her acting choices, and I think uh, she does a a really good job as well. And she's a she's a very charming young young actress. I think um, Matthew Lillard also I think does a very good job. Everyone else is I don't want to say they're just there because everyone else puts in a very good performance, but you know the the ones that i would highlight i think are ricky lake and and obviously kathleen turner is fantastic in the film
1: yeah i mean i would definitely recommend it
0: yeah i think uh if if you've skipped all the parts where we we went through the movie and, and you're back with us now right before our blockbuster pick of the week then i think this is definitely one you want to go out to the theater and check out it is it's a very solid strong movie i like it a lot yep Alright, well we will end this week, as we end all weeks, pretty much, with our except for the uh, the Oscar one what we did right. with our blockbuster pick of the week. This week, at your blockbuster store, you will find the nineteen ninety-three film Cool Runnings about the Jamaican bobsled team. Carol, I know you are a big fan of Cool Runnings. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Cool Runnings and why people should rent it?
1: It's just such a freaking cute movie. I love this movie. They're hilarious, um, and you know John Candy's in it, and John Candy's amazing.
0: The late John Candy, yeah. uh, very. Uh, we obviously we talked about that story last month. Uh, it was a few weeks ago, I believe, but uh, yeah, unfortunate there.
1: But I mean, it's it's just fun to watch this Jamaican bobsled team, you know, just transplanted into you know the cold and this. Obviously, I mean, who bobsleds in Jamaica, right? You don't, because right. there's no snow. So it's just there's so much comedy.
0: They wanted to be on a different team, right? Well, didn't they want to run? I believe.
1: Well, no, one of them's a runner.
0: Yeah, and he wanted to be on the Olympics, but he got he got left off. Yeah. So this was a wave to get to the Olympics, right?
1: So yeah, and they 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 make it, and it's just I mean, it's heartwarming. It's a true story too. Yeah, it's a heartwarming story, but it's also it's just very funny.
0: You know, I didn't see this movie in the theater. We actually rented this movie. Uh, but we returned it so you guys can still rent it if you want to. But Carol saw this in the theater yes. and she recommended it to me. And I was incredulous. I like John Candy a lot, but I was like, uh, eh, you know, I'm not this doesn't really this doesn't really turn any dials for me necessarily. But I watched the movie. It's so good. It's a very funny Charming film.
1: Hey, you dead man!
0: <laughs> There's so many things about it. It's very the the guys that play the 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 bobsled team guys are are very very funny, and John Candy obviously was a legend, and and he you know he does not disappoint in this yeah. film. It's it's a very good movie. It's definitely one that I would recommend that you go
1: out and rent. Definitely.
0: Well, that is our show. For this week, as always, if you have any feedback, you can put it into my locker uh, any uh, money that you want to donate to the show you can put in Carol's locker uh, you can find us all the places that you can find us you know um <laughs> we will uh, we will be giving out these tapes again uh you know tomorrow or Monday at school and um you know like I said share them share them with your friends. Send them towns over, you know, send them to your cousins that live out of state. Just
1: Don't send it to Ian Ziering, though. That would be mean.
0: Send it to Ian Ziering. I want to hear him cry. <laughs> um, but uh, just share it with everybody that you can. Tell everybody about our show and how much you love it. And uh, we will see you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye.
1: Bye.